All right, well, we're in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, and we're starting chapter 4, and I will read the first eight verses this morning. And this is God's word. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you. For God has called us not for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gave his Holy Spirit to you. As we come to this portion of the letter of First Thessalonians, we're moving from faith to works. We're moving from um, what you should believe about Christ to what you are to do in service to Christ. And specifically in three areas that are highlighted um, in the last part of uh, this letter. The first is purity, and that's in verse 3 to 8 of chapter 4. The second is love for one another, and that's in verses 9 through um, 12. And then the third is uh, watchfulness for Christ's return. And that starts in chapter 4, verse 13. And it goes all the way down to um, chapter 5, verse 11. And then Paul wraps up uh, the rest of uh, his uh, epistles. So those are three aspects of the Christian life, what we do. Um, purity, sexual purity, love for one another, and watchfulness for Christ's return. And they're actually interrelated to each other, as uh, will we'll, we'll become clear as Paul um, goes through these things and exhorts uh, believers uh, to this. And your purity and your love and your watchfulness is also interrelated. Those are uh, related to one another, your purity in body and mind, and your love for believers and your watchfulness for uh, Christ's return. Those are all related to one another. None is independent of, uh, of uh, the other. Well, before Paul opens... The first of these three specific areas, which are, which is uh, purity, um, he tucks in a couple of brief comments about the Christian life in general. And, uh, so, and that's in verses one and two. And, uh, these brief comments, uh, certain, they're about the Christian life in general. They certainly concern purity and love and watchfulness as well as any other part of the Christian life, like ministry to one another or parenting or patience, or compassion, or any of the fruit of um, the Spirit. And uh, I read eight verses this morning, but I'm not going to be very ambitious this morning. I'm just going to get to the first two verses, and then we'll kind of save Paul's first specific topic, which is sexual purity, for um, uh, the next time. In these two verses, which just kind of address the Christian li- Christian living in general, Paul makes one exhortation. A brief one. In fact, if you blink, you'll miss it um, in these two verses, but it's an important one for the whole uh, Christian life in general, and it's important for you and even important for us to spend a whole Sunday um, considering it. So let me give you a three-part outline just for these two 
uh, verses. First, Paul's attitude in making the exhortation. It's the first part of verse 1. Second, the content of the exhortation. That's the last part of verse 1. And then third, a reminder of past exhortations, and that's in verse uh, 2. So first, we'll look at Paul's attitude in making this uh, exhortation. It's in verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. That's the attitude that he has. As he's, and he's, then he's going to tell you what the exhortation uh, is. But uh, he, he gives his attitude in making this uh, exhortation. Uh, and he, he does it in two ways. He says we ask, we request, and we uh, exhort. And so here's the way in which Paul gives this exhortation to you about um, Christian living. First of all, he's asking. He's asking, and sometimes that makes uh, quite a bit of difference, not just to describe the Christian life to someone or define it, but to ask them to say, will you do this? Will you do this? And so Paul, Paul's doing that. He's presenting the Christian life now to the Thessalonians and um, talking about their Christian life and some specific areas that need uh, attention. And he's asking them, will you do this? We do this in these uh, three specific uh, areas. And so he asks them, but he's doing a little more than that. Uh, he's also exhorting. He's also uh, exhorting. And, and so uh, perhaps you could translate this best. We ask and we urge. We're not just asking you, will you do this? Um, as if it's a neutral question, but Paul sees something very important at stake in it. He's making that very clear to uh, the Thessalonians. So we ask and we urge. And uh, this is the way in which he presents the whole Christian life to them, because that's the, way, the attitude with which he presents this exhortation that covers uh, the whole Christian life. We ask you and um, we urge you. Um, it's certainly not a high-handed way that Paul comes at the uh, Thessalonian believers. They're new uh, believers. Paul's uh, the apostle here, along with his um, um, co-workers in ministry. It's certainly not high-handed and demanding and domineering. It's kind of a friendly tone that he takes with them. We ask you, we urge you. And uh, he even refers to them as brethren. Finally, brothers. So he's appealing to them as a, as a brother. We request you and uh, we urge you. But there's a, another thing that's key, I think, and that, that really actually col- colors Paul's whole attitude in presenting this exhortation. And it's the first two words of the chapter, first two words of the, the verse. Therefore, and finally, so therefore, of course, connects to what's come before. He's, he's uh, um, situating this firmly uh, after what uh, he's coming in chapter one and chapter two and chapter three with that. Therefore, therefore, we ask you. And on the basis of what we've said in these last chapters, that's why we uh, ask you and uh, urge you this uh, in the Lord. Uh, so he says, therefore, and then finally, and probably your translation has the word finally. Um, that's not really the best translation of this word. Um, because Paul doesn't mean that he's in the process of ending the letter, finally. He's not ending the letter. This is, this is, uh, he's got quite a bit more to go in, uh, this letter. But, uh, probably a more literal way to translate it is, for the rest. For the rest. Therefore, for the rest. So what's he just been talking about for the first, uh, three chapters? And uh, we've been we've been going through these uh, three chapters, I think, with with a blessing of the Lord on this. But OK, the first three chapters of this letter are about assurance. They're about assurance. And so he spent three chapters 
Uh, speaking of their assurance, trying to build up their assurance mostly by reminding them, reminding them that they are in fact true heirs of salvation. And so he writes them in these chapters things like chapter one and verse four that he's writing, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. I'm writing to you knowing that you're truly saved. Or he writes them, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believed. You received the gospel when we came to you. You received it like God speaking good news to you. And that's what it really is. It's God speaking good news to you, and it performs its work in you who believe it. And that's really happened uh, to you. Or he says to them, uh, chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. And so he kind of takes them forward into the future, into the moment of Christ's return. He says, I'm telling you, you're going to be there. And we're going to be proud of you then like we're proud of you now. Um, you are joy and our, 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 our glory and joy, not just now, um, but also then because you're truly saved. And so Christ is going to make sure that you finish, uh, the course. And so he's really trying to, um, build up, build up again their assurance back to what they had when they were first saved. When they were first saved, it came in the power of the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. And then they kind of lost some of that assurance and he's trying to build up their, um, assurance. And so on the basis of that, on the basis of exhorting them to assurance that they know that they are truly saved. It's on that basis, therefore, that what he has to say to them about the Christian life is the rest. I'm speaking to you about assurance, and the Christian living is the rest. It flows from that. And um, it's important that Paul doesn't do this the other way around. He doesn't turn the letter on its head. He doesn't say, I've got three things that you need to be doing that have come to my mind, I want to talk to you about this first. It's sexual purity. It's love. It's watchfulness. And once you get those three under control, then therefore for the rest, I'll talk to you about assurance. And uh, your path will be more pleasant if you will have a little bit more assurance and not be plagued of by doubts of uh, that Christ is able to do for you everything that he's promised. No, that's not the order that he does it. It might be the order that you think if you're just thinking this from the uh, a natural uh, standpoint, uh, to hit the things, the actions that most meet, need to be taken and then talk to them about the, the dessert, the cherry on top, the assurance. No, it's the other way around, uh, for Paul. He speaks to them first, foremost, of assurance. And then the issues of actions that need to be changed, need attention, uh, importantly need attention are done in light of their assurance of salvation, knowing that Christ can do and is doing for them everything that he, uh, promised. And so this is the way in which his uh, letter here is set up, like many of his other letters are set up um, as well with the same. And so uh, when he comes to Christian living, he says, therefore, based on assurance, based on faith and assurance uh, in Christ, give your attention to these uh, actions which need uh, your uh, attention. Sometimes it's said in the giving of the gospel uh, that the the, uh, unsaved person must uh, forsake their sins and turn from them firmly and sincerely and then turn to Christ. Or sometimes it's said that they're to do that in one motion, let go of their sin and turn to Christ in uh, one motion. And I think that would be terrific. I would be all for that. But it's impossible to turn from your sin uh, before you believe in Christ or even in one uh, motion uh, to do that. You cannot forsake sin 
unless you know yourself to be loved by God by faith. And that's actually what distinguishes gospel repentance from legal repentance. It's what distinguishes repentance done in the power of the spirit versus repentance that's done in the power of uh, the flesh. The leper does not uh, forsake his leprosy and trust in Christ's power to heal all in one motion. No, he comes to Christ with with his leprosy, clinging to him. He trusts in Christ, and Christ is the one who uh, cleanses uh, him uh, from that. And if that's true of the moment of salvation, it's also true of the Christian life. You need assurance in order to grow. You need assurance in order to grow. You need to know that you're saved. You need to know that Christ loves you with a love that can never uh, be uh, taken away that he forgives you of your sins from from uh, start to finish, from A to Z, uh, from your least uh, sin to your worst uh, sin, and that he gives you the power of his Holy Spirit freely. Uh, you need to know that uh, in order to uh, grow. Uh, when you know that, the actions of the Christian life are therefore for the rest. It's all downhill from there. Now, now that doesn't mean that there's not effort. There's not effort uh, in the Christian life. Uh, the Christian life, unmistakably, the New Testament says, uh, requires effort. Effort is involved in uh, the Christian life, but it's a certain kind of effort. It's an effort done in the light of assurance. And so, uh, for example, Second Peter 1 verse 5 says, now for this very reason, applying all diligence, all effort, add to your faith moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. Those are all actions. Those are all virtues, and they all require effort, sweat, perspiration every step of the way. But uh, the first step in that and what they're all done in is they're done in faith. They're done in faith that uh, Christ uh, forgives you, that he's gracious towards you, that his gospel promise is true, and that it's true for you. So what is Paul's attitude in presenting this um, uh exhortation that kind of covers the whole Christian life in these first uh, two verses. Well, he's asking you and he's urging you, but Paul doesn't ask or urge apart from assurance. And so it's therefore for the rest, we ask you and uh, we urge you in the Lord Jesus. That's the last part for the uh, attitude in uh, the Lord Jesus. And there's uh, many names, titles for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but uh, he speaks here of the Lord Jesus, the Lord who is Jesus. The Lord is really what's emphasized uh, here. And then also he's uh, spoken by his name, uh, Jesus. And it speaks of his authority, it speaks of his authority. So he exhorts you in the Lord, in the power, actually in the authority of uh, the Lord Jesus, whose lordship is exercised over his people through the gospel, by faith. Through assurance, not outside of it. If his uh, lordship was exercised outside of the gospel, we would be consumed by uh, his lordship. And so for a Christian to stand beneath his lordship is to stand on the holy ground of the gospel, illuminated by his grace. And so he says, finally then, brethren, in connection to everything I've been saying to you about uh, assurance, brethren, we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus with all the authority uh, and even a power to save uh, that is his because he is the Lord, the Lord uh, Jesus. So that's Paul's attitude in making this uh, exhortation. What is the exhortation? What's the content of uh, the exhortation? Let me read the rest of the verse. Finally then, brethren, 
we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Uh, the content of the exhortation, it actually comes at the end. It's actually, it's actually, um, really brief and it comes at the very end of the verse. And, and this is the whole exhortation for the whole, um, Christian life is that you excel still more. That's the extra, that's what he's delivering. That's what he's saying about uh, the Christian life, that you excel still more according to two measures, or actually this is what you're excelling in, and that's what he puts at the beginning of it. Uh, you're going to excel in uh, this uh, just as you received instruction from us is how you ought to walk and please God. That's what you're to excel in. And just as you actually do walk, that's what you're to excel in. But here's, here's the content of uh, the exhortation that you excel still more. To excel means to abound, means to abound, means to overflow. We've actually seen this word recently. Um, It's in verse 12 of chapter 3. It speaks of having in excess, speaks of having too much, speaks of having extra um, to excel, to abound. Um, it's used in uh, John, the Gospel of John's account of the feeding of the 5,000. It says they filled 12 large baskets with food that was abounding, food that was abounding to those who had eaten. And it uses the same word that's used here. That's, so this is the command for the Christian life. Paul says, I want you to abound. I want you to have too much. I want you to excel, and I want you to do it more. Uh it's an important word in First uh, Thessalonians. Paul's already used it in chapter 3, verse 12, with reference to love as part of his prayer. May the Lord cause you to increase and to abound, to have too much, to have left over, in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. And he's going to return to it again in, in reference to the same thing, in reference to love, in chapter 4 and verse 10. For indeed, you do practice it to all the brethren who are in uh, Macedonia. Love is what he's speaking of. Love one another. But we urge you, brethren, to abound still more, to to have extra, to have even more extra and to overflow even more. And here he's using it not for love, the preeminent Christian virtue, but for the whole Christian life. For all the commandments that I've instructed you in, he says, and that you're already uh, doing uh, I want the, the exhortation is that you would abound still, uh, more. And this is what matches actually assurance of Christ's love for you. His love for you is in excess. It's, it's excessive. It's abundant. It's overflowing. It's more than enough, uh, for, uh, all that he has uh, promised to you. And so the kind of obedience that's done in answer to that, that's done in assurance of that, is not just one that meets a minimum standard. It's one that overflows the minimum standard. And so the commandments that come to you are not just all the minimums that are presented to you, but they're, they're directions in which you are to overflow. You're to do even more than uh, the commandment. And so the kind of growth that he's wanting them to do more, because he says that, uh, is, is to abound more in all uh, the aspects of Christian living. He doesn't want them to grow in begrudging obedience. You've got a little bit of begrudging obedience toward the Lord, and I'd like you to have a little bit more, and that's how it's going to progress, just a little bit of begrudging obedience at a time. No, that's not the kind of obedience he wants them to have more of. He wants them to have more of abounding, wholehearted, 
obedience. And so when he looks at the Christian life, here's his command that he's at, he's asking them to do, and he's urging them to do, is to uh, abound uh, still, still more. When you know by faith that Christ loves you with an abundant love, a love greater than what you uh, uh, can imagine, not only do you accept what he sovereignly ordains as best, make peace with it, even things that are difficult uh, in your life, but uh, you make peace with all his commands as well. You say, those are good for me too. Those are also what he sovereignly decrees uh, for me too. And so I'm not just going to reluctantly embrace those restrictions, those commands on my life. I'm going to abound in those uh, commands because it's best for me, because it comes from the hand of my sovereign Lord uh, who loves me and who's uh, tied himself and committed himself to me in love through uh, the gospel. So the commands that we're to abound uh, in we're not to aim to meet a minimum standard when a command comes. Love one another or uh, be pure. Be pure in your, in your thoughts, in your mind, uh, and in your body. You're not to aim for, well, what's the, what is the minimum standard that a Christian ought to do or that someone at least ought to do if they are um, uh, a Christian? You're not to aim for the minimum standard or even to ask what it is or even need to know what it is because the kind of obedience that you're going to give is to overflow it. That's the kind of obedience he's asking them and urging them to have in every aspect of uh, the Christian life. The commandments are directions in which your obedience to the Lord should overflow, forgetting yourself and doing more than what he asks and not seeking uh, the minimum. That's the freedom of Christian obedience. That's what the Lord meant when he said, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, have it overflowing uh, uh, towards, uh, towards uh, him in that way. Uh, when obedience is undertaken, apart from assurance of the Lord's lavish love towards you, it doesn't overflow. And the question that keeps coming up when you uh, undertake uh, obedience in that way is, what's the minimum standard? That becomes a focus. That becomes an obsession, is trying to find uh, the minimum standard exactly where it is and then uh, aiming for that or aiming just above uh, that. Uh, but the kind of obedience that Paul's talking about is a kind of obedience that might make you need to readjust your spiritual goals to aim not just to be be obedient uh, to to exactly what the Lord is commanding in the minimum uh, way, but uh, to overflow, and that matches the love of God uh, for you. I'll use an illustration that another pastor used, but it's as true for me as it is for him, uh, and that is that I have a large library. I, I inherited a lot of my grandfather's uh, library, and so when people come and see it. One question that they frequently ask me is, have you read all these books? And I think they can often say, even as they're asking, there's no way that he's read all these books because it's too many to uh, have uh, read. And uh, it's, it's, it's too much. I, I could, if I read, I've, I like to read and I've read some of them, but if I spent my whole life, I couldn't read uh, everything that's in all of my uh, bookshelf. That's the way in which the Lord speaks of your spiritual inheritance as well. So for example, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in, in Christ. And so your spiritual goals should match not just the strength that you bring into the equation and the resources that you find in yourself, but your spiritual goals ought to match the resources in your spiritual inheritance. And they're abundant. It's every blessing. God is not sparing in what he has uh, given uh, to you. And so our 
obedience and our goals for obedience even is to match that and it is not just to measure up but to overflow and go uh, beyond uh, beyond measure. Well, that's the exhortation. If you blink, you'll miss it. But it's important for the whole Christian life, even worth dwelling on and uh, spending a whole Sunday on that you'd abound, that you'd have too much, that you'd have in excess still more. And that's to characterize all aspects of the Christian life. Uh, abound according to, and I've said it's two comparisons or two measures, and this really um, expresses what we're to abound in. And this comes before it in verse one. He's asking and requesting in the Lord Jesus that as, and here's the first one, here's the first measure, as you've received from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God. Paul and Timothy and Silas had spent a short time with the Thessalonians when they planted the church there about a year earlier. And um, people compare acts with other things in Paul's epistles and try to figure out how short it was that Paul spent with them. But it was short. It was a matter of months, not years. Uh, that he spent uh, establishing uh, the church. And during that time, he instructed them, he gave them instructions, they received them, about how a Christian ought to behave, uh, to walk, and uh, to please God. He had enough time to at least trace out the shape. Here's what a Christian does. A Christian loves other believers. A Christian uh, uh, dwells, allows the word of God to dwell richly in him. A, a Christian observes the Lord's Supper. A Christian is baptized. Um, a Christian raises children um, in this way. A, a, a Christian does not participate in the deeds of the flesh. A Christian doesn't participate in deeds of uh, sexual uh, immorality. A Christian waits for the Lord's return and is expectantly waiting for the Lord's return. A Christian continues in faith. A Christian has the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, uh, patience. And so Paul uh, was able to at least trace that out, perhaps not in detail, but uh, say how a Christian ought to walk and that uh, speaks of how we live day by day, one step at a time in time. And please God. And that's an amazing thing that uh, we actually please God. That's a that's a shocking thing uh, that we please God by the way we simply live our lives and the sim- way we simply uh, act um, in, in um, obedience to him. It actually pleases God. That's what is uh, said to us uh, in scripture. And he was able to say to them that it's necessary. This is not optional. And that's uh, the word that's used here. Uh, you, as you received instruction, how it is necessary to walk and please God for uh, a Christian. And so uh, someone who's not walking as a Christian is showing that they're not saved and uh, showing that they're like uh, one of those soils where the seed falls and maybe springs up for a time and, and then um, uh, um, proves uh, not uh, to be uh, truly saved. Uh, a person in that condition shouldn't just add the things that are missing, the works that are missing. You, you can do that in the flesh. Those things, you, you gotta go to Christ for those things. The, the things that are missing are done in the assurance of salvation, and that's what's missing for a person who, uh, is not, um, saved. But, uh, a Christian walk is what a Christian does. Someone is not doing a Christian walk, it's because they're not a Christian. And so they need to go back to Christ, uh, in faith for uh, salvation. But uh, Paul says, my request for you and my exhortation is that you'd abound in the very things that I was speaking to you about when I was there. And I was telling you that a, a Christian must uh, do. That's what you're to abound in. And then, and then there's one other uh, measure, just as you actually do walk. Um, Thessalonians were uh, a model church. They were already doing these things. They already knew the reality of it. 
they needed to abound still more. They needed to be urged to abound uh, still uh, more, but they, they actually were headed in this direction already and actually were walking as uh, Christians. Um, important, interesting to think about for the first thing that he talks to them about is sexual immorality. And so he's going to warn them against fornication and adultery. And, it, and uh, they did live in a very pagan culture and they were saved fresh out of it. Most of them uh, were Gentiles. Um, they weren't, I don't think that means they were necessarily failing in that area of their life. Um, he may have um, been speaking to them of those things, not so much by way of rebuke, but by way of prevention, because he says here, you actually are walking in this way. And so he's going to exhort several areas, uh, perhaps uh, uh, shoring up areas where they might be uh, in danger. Their loss of much assurance that they had at the beginning of their salvation wasn't helping them. And so uh, Paul's going to address uh, these areas that are putting them in the danger zone. Uh, Satan is certainly at work. He was at work then. He's at work now as well. And he knows the connection between faith and works, perhaps even better uh, than we do uh, as well. And so these things were necessary. These exhortations were necessary to ask them and to exhort them to abound, even though the Thessalonians were already walking in this way. And he says, I want you to abound in what you're already doing. I want you to have too much of what you're already doing. You're already walking as a Christian. I'm asking you to abound in it still more. So first this morning, the attitude in making the exhortation. Um, Paul's attitude is it's given in such a way as Paul especially points out the connection between Christian living and assurance. The Christian living grows out of uh, assurance. The content of the exhortation Christian living abounds. Christian living abounds. That's what you should aim for when you seek to make effort towards all the aspects of uh, Christian living and all the, the, the things that the commandments should bring out in you is abundant obedience, uh, abundantly uh, um, having too much when it comes to all of those things. That's the content of the exhortation. And then finally, we'll just touch on this briefly, a reminder of past exhortations, and that's verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of, of uh, the Lord Jesus. Um, Paul uh, is re- reminding them here that he's given them these commandments, all the commandments uh, that have to do with the Christian life. He's giving them to them uh, before nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And so he says, you know what commandments we uh, have uh, given to you. He may be telling them more about why he is going to, has given those commandments uh, to them, but they're not new commandments that he's giving them here in chapter four and in chapter five. He's clarifying things they've lost sight of. He's putting extra information or extra reasons um, into commandments that he's already uh, given them. And he reminds them of that, that he's already uh, given it to them. In fact, he's already reminded them because he says he wants them to excel in what uh, in the things that they have already received instruction as to how they should walk and please God. He reminds them of that again in verse two, and he puts it in the form of, you know, you know what commandments we have given to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And uh, Paul has used that, you know, a whole bunch of times in Thessalonians in chapter one and two and three, usually to point them to Paul and Silas and Timothy's love for them and to say, you know how we loved you. You know how we, you became dear to us as we ministered the gospel to you. You know how we were like a tender mother toward you or like a caring father 
towards you. You already know this. And I think Paul uh, used it there to, to, as a pointer to God's love. You know how we love you? God loves you. His love for you hasn't changed uh, either. And so he uses the tangible thing of Paul and Silas's Tim and Timothy's love, which they know as an index, as a token to Christ's love for them which hasn't changed either to reassure them uh, of that. But here he uses it for the commands. And so I think what he's saying is the same love that you know also commands. And the commands are loving. The commands are actually an expression of that uh, same love. That's why these commands are not uh, burdensome. And so he uses this uh, expression. It's kind of a refrain in Thessalonians here, but now towards the commandments that he's uh, already given them and he's going to uh, expand on them here. You know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. We gave you commandments in the past through the Lord Jesus. Now that actually might seem like an awkward and and, uh, surprising way of uh, expressing these. When you think about the task of the apostles, you might think it'd be better to say, uh, the Lord Jesus spoke uh, these commandments to through us, his apostles, his sent uh, ones. And that would be uh, a good way of uh, putting it. If you put it that way, it's like the Lord Jesus is the one who's far away. He's sending his, his uh, apostles uh, to you. And uh, the commandments are, are given by the Lord Jesus through his uh, apostles. They say it in a kind of a surprising way. And they say, we gave you commandments through the Lord Jesus. And it's like the apostles are the furthest away, even when they're right there uh, with them. And the, the Lord is there. He's the, he's the medium in which these uh, commandments are coming uh, to them. And uh, it reminds me, all of that reminds me of uh, the Great Commission in the way that it's put both parts of it. Matthew chapter um, 28 and um, verse 19 Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. It sounds like Christ commanding people to do uh, the commandments through the apostles. But then he adds this, and lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And so Christ is present where his word is preached. He's present through the preaching of his word. He's actually nearer to you than you are to yourself. He's nearer to you than the gospel preacher who preaches these things into your ears. Christ is there, and the gospel preacher, as he tells you the commands of Christ, um, is uh, uh, speaking to you through Christ, who's actually uh, with you and and, uh, in the preaching of his word. So before Paul gets to the specific commands that come at the end of this, or the second half of this uh, epistle, have to do with Purity, the issues of purity that we'll get into next week, love and uh, watchfulness. Paul uh, just pauses and considers the Christian life uh, in general, just with these very brief comments in verse one and uh, verse two. In these verses, he connects the Christian life back to assurance or the power of assurance, which is really connecting it back to the power of Christ. And then uh, he says that that power is not just power to do the commands, but it's power to abound in those commands. It's power to do even more than uh, is asked. Uh, You have received from the Lord, not sparingly, with a stingy hand, so uh, aim to to meet a minimum based on that, but rather, as scripture says, freely you have received, freely give. Richly you've received, lavishly you've received, 
richly and lavishly give in obedience to the Lord. It matches the same. That's why Christian obedience matches uh, assurance of uh, the Lord's gospel uh, promises. So let me ask you this morning to look into your heart and ask you, are you trying to live the Christian life without assurance? Are you trying to live the Christian life without assurance? You're trying to live the Christian life without first uh, uh, believing with much assurance that all of the promises of the gospel are for you, that all of the love of Christ is yours, that all of the forgiveness of Christ is yours and the power of the Holy Spirit is yours. If you carry around the sin of unbelief with reference to the gospel, which is the sin of suspicion and doubt in the word of God and doubt in the character of God, it will dry out, it will ruin, it will destroy all of your obedience. You'll find, as the Lord said, that you can sweep the house immaculately clean and uh, it will only invite in seven demons that are worse than uh, the first. So trust in the Lord's love for you that's presented in the gospel. Hear it through a gospel preacher and say, that's not the words of the preacher, it's the word of God speaking directly to me of the pardon of free forgiveness and the power of Christ. Trust in his love for you with much assurance, with assurance in excess, more than you need. And in that assurance, in that boldness, endeavor not just to fill the forms of God's commands with your obedience, but to overflow them with excess and find yourself doing even more than he asks. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you might give us this abundant obedience that Paul asks for of the Thessalonian uh, believers. And uh, we pray that you might uh, bring that uh, from us. We know that it's done in the power of your spirit and it's done in um, assurance and belief uh, of your gospel, which is its own kind of obedience and a very important kind of obedience uh, because our other obedience is connected to it. And so we pray that you would uh, teach us to trust you. And uh, as we trust in, in the power of Christ, that you teach us to love you, teach us to obey you. Pray that you teach us uh, purity that comes from the gospel. Pray that you teach us love that comes from the gospel. And we pray that you teach us the kind of expectation for Christ's return that uh, we ought to have um, that comes from the gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.